Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 29. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 29. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who's in your camp from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God, as he promised you, as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed, and you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest they be among you a man or a woman or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart." This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zunboyim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? What causes the heat of this great anger? Then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath, and cast them into another land as they are this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Josh. There are so many Joshes in Sovereign Grace churches. Pastors, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my great joy this morning to preach um, from Deuteronomy 29. um, I'm excited for what God is going to speak to us through his word. give you a movie scene. Hopefully it's a movie scene and not in your house scene. You see a guy sitting in the den drinking his coffee and then a wife decked in oversized coveralls with a safety helmet on storming into the kitchen without eye contact, dragging behind her a ladder and carrying a battery-powered drill and a sawzall and a hammer and a light fixture. And you know it. She mad. (laughs) Every guy now goes like, oh boy, I know this. And if you're an unwise fool... At that very moment, you will make some comment about what's going on here. It better be you just be quiet. And we all know, why Why is she mad? Oh, she's mad because she has asked you a hundred times to fix that stupid light fixture that has been out for half a century and you have not done it. And she's mad. And she's going to today fix that light fixture herself. She does not know how to operate that drill, but she will fix that light fixture today. But if you're that guy sitting in the den, this is going to cost you. This will be roses and Ruth Chris and spa days and all kinds of things. But it will cost you to make that right. Fun aside, it is true that one of the most frustrating things, right, in life is asking somebody over and over and over the same thing and not getting a response. Them completely dismissing you, completely blowing you off, ignoring your repeated appeals, not paying attention to you whatsoever, whether that's in person or in email, it's infuriating, right, to, to all of us. If you're a teacher, Chris knows this, when students week after week after week show up with their work not completed. If you're a parent, you know this. If, you, if, you had, if I had one dollar for every time when my children were small that I would ask them the same thing over and over and over and they don't do it, I can retire. <laughs> if, if, if you've looked at me, you've seen I haven't made eye contact with Karen. <laughs> because she might just say, the children are not the problem. And the result often of our asking over and over and over and over, I see in my own life, is what? Anger and frustration. If you ask people the same thing over and over, you write these emails, you ask them, you plead with them, they don't do anything. Frustration wells up in us. Oh, how amazing church that our God never gets to that point with us. You see, if we're honest, we really are the ones who over and over disobeys. We neglect to obey his laws. We disregard his call for us to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And we ignore his command to have no other God before him. If God was like us, we would be in a boatload of trouble. 
And we can praise him for being a gracious and loving God who is slow to anger and who abounds in steadfast love. And this morning we see an example of God's steadfast love and his slowness to anger in Deuteronomy 29 as he once again, like he has done before, calls Israel, his chosen people, into covenant faithfulness with himself. Our passage this morning starts is the start of Moses' third and final sermon to Israel. His final exhortation just before Joshua succeeds Moses and they enter the promised land. And we read this in verse 1. You should, you should just open, have your Bibles open at Deuteronomy 29 this morning because we're going to look back at that text over and over. In verse 1 we see, These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. Matthew stated this last week, Deuteronomy is a covenant document. And here on the plains of Moab, God is once again, through Moses, renewing his covenant with Israel. This is not a new covenant. This is a covenant renewal. A covenant renewal of the covenant that was made to them At Sinai, you will remember that when Israel left Egypt and they traveled and they got to the wilderness of Sinai and they camped there in front of the mountain, that's where Moses went up onto the mountain and met with God and where God established his covenant with Israel as his people. And we read in Exodus 19 verse 5, And six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, that's the covenant God made with them. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A covenant which Israel has not been faithful to keep. And God once again invites his chosen people into covenant fellowship with himself while making it very clear to them what the result of covenant infidelity will be. We're going to look at this passage under three main headings. God's faithfulness to Israel, Israel's need for a changed heart, And the danger of willful rebellion. And we will learn from this this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your steadfast love for us. Thank you that you are not like us who gets frustrated and angry. And who walks away from us. Thank you that you are faithful to us. And that you call us back to you again and again and again. Lord, we are so prone to walk away from you. Will you forgive us? And will you help us now as we look at your word? We ask that you will speak to us through your word, through my broken words. Will you address our hearts and help us to see you as glorious and amazingly beautiful? Help us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Israel was God's chosen people. Sadly, Israel was an unfaithful people. We've observed their disobedience all through Deuteronomy, right? That we've seen. They are disobedient to God. We've seen their sexual immorality. We've seen how they have oppressed people, how they have dishonored their parents, how they have worshipped idols They are unfaithful to the covenant that God has made with them. They are unfaithful to God. Yet God has always been exceedingly faithful to his people, to Israel. And so we read in verse 2b this morning, Moses says, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. 
to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. And then he goes into a list of all the things that God has done for them. Moses tells them in verse 5, Your clothes have not worn out. In 40 years in that desert, Israel, your clothes have not worn out. What, what care did God give to you? How faithful was he to you? Your sandals have not worn off your feet. How many miles did they walk in 40 years? And their sandals have not worn off their feet. Verse 6, you have not eaten bread and have not drunk wine or strong drink. Why? Because God supplied to them manna, a plenty, and water, a plenty. Everything they needed was supplied to them by God. Verse 7, when you came into this place... Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us in battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to the in, for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. And Moses is saying to them, God led you, Israel. God protected you. He fought for you, and he supplied Every need that you have, you lack nothing. You lack no clothes, you lack no shoes, you lack no food, you lack no drink. And when nations with far superior armies rose up against you, God defeated them for you. Therefore, Israel. Verse 9 starts with, therefore, therefore, Israel, because you have seen God's faithful care and provision with your own eyes, these are signs, therefore, Israel, look at verse 9, keep the words of the covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. And God, through Moses, once again invites his chosen, unfaithful people into covenant fellowship with himself. And we should not pass this verse too quickly, friends. You see, what we, what we can learn from this verse, what it teaches is, this, is that God's provision for us and his care for us and his faithfulness for us, just like for Israel, was specifically designed to lead them and to lead us into faithfulness toward our God. You have seen what the Lord has done before your eyes, Israel. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant so that... here Look at these two promises that God gives them if they would keep the covenant. Verse 9, that you may prosper in all that you do. And verse 13, that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised to you. Amazing blessings. So I have to ask you this morning, church, how often do you reflect on God's specific provision and care, and faithfulness in your life? Or do you take for granted your shirt, and your shoes, and your breakfast this morning, and your car driving in, or the fact that you can sit in church being addressed by God's holy word? Or do you maybe feel that God owes you these things? Friends, if you do not regularly take time to reflect on God's care and faithfulness to you, I want to encourage you to make that a habit, a discipline in your life. It will help you to prosper, says verse 9. But not prosper like the prosperity gospel says. It will help you to prosper in thanksgiving towards God. 
It will help you to prosper in joyfulness. It will help you to prosper in humility. It will help you to prosper in love for God. If you feel down and overwhelmed, go and sit and think of God's faithfulness to you. And he will prosper in you a joy and a gratefulness and a thankfulness and a humility for what he has done. Oh, we honor God when we think of and speak of and thank Him for His tender care and His abundant provision and His constant faithfulness in our lives. Over the past few months, Doug Roberts, my community group leader, has started asking people to give testimonies during community group time. And friends, how amazing. I cannot tell you how amazing it is week by week as we hear, as all of us hear people be honest about their struggles and their fears and their fight to see Jesus. But you know what is so amazing for me is to hear of God's constant faithfulness in the lives of people in our church. Thank you for doing that, Doug. God, friends, we should remind each other. We should first think of this often about God's faithfulness in our lives, and then we should speak it to one another. We should remind one another how faithful he is to bring us a drummer all the way from Chile. Yeah. <laughs> he is faithful to us as a people, as a church, and as individuals. But you know, God's faithfulness to Israel, it, just, it didn't just terminate. It didn't just stop in all of those things that he did for them. In verse 10 through 14, we see God through Moses inviting the people into covenant fellowship. He's inviting them to covenant fellowship. Listen to this from verse 10. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourners who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws the water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today that he may establish you today as his people, that he may be your God as he promised to you and as he swore to your forefathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God is calling them to be his people. He is calling them to be their God. It is remarkable that God has not given up on them like we give up on one another but once again, he is establishing his covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. We'll be amiss if we just don't take a second to think, who is this that is calling them into covenant faithfulness? Psalm 24 says, he is the king of glory. Imagine the king of glory is calling them into faithfulness, into covenant. He wants them to be his people. Or listen to what Isaiah says who this is. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what is to happen. Oh, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you? Have I not of old? Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And are you not my witnesses? Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is the God who is calling them into covenant fellowship with himself. 
It's not their neighbor. It's not the neighboring country. It's the God of the universe who is calling them. This morning, he is calling you, friend, into faithfulness to him also. And as Israel, you and I have everything to gain and nothing to lose. As we serve the mighty, holy one of Israel. But Israel, even though they saw with their physical eyes all that God has done for them, that list, it is very clear that seeing they did not see. If we look at verse 4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Their eyes that have witnessed God's faithfulness to them through 40 years in the desert have not become eyes of faith. And their ears that heard the rumble at Mount Sinai has not become ears of obedience. And their hearts that have seen through all these events that Yahweh alone is God are still capable and even willing and desirous to quickly turn away from Him and to worship other gods. They saw, but they didn't see. What did they see? They saw the Red Sea split. They saw manna coming down. They saw water flowing from a rock. They saw their clothes not wearing out, but they did not see. They should have said, God did this. And that should have compelled them to repent and to obey the statutes of the Lord. It should have compelled them to covenant faithfulness, but they did not. Why? Because of what they did not see. They did not see with the eyes of their heart that God is supremely precious and supremely valuable and supremely desirable above all else. They did not see him as their only and highest glory and treasure. They saw his works, but they did not see him with the eyes of their hearts. And Moses has made it plain that the aim of this covenant relationship is that the people grasp with their hearts and their eyes and their ears that God is their God, that they are his people And that nothing is more to be desired in all of this world than this relationship he is calling them into. Nothing. Yet seeing with their eyes, they did not see with their hearts. But I can hear the argument in some hearts and minds here this morning. Josh, verse 4 says, The Lord has not given them a heart to understand and eyes to see and ears to hear. Surely Israel cannot be held accountable if it was the Lord's sovereign action to keep their eyes from seeing and their ears from hearing and their hearts from understanding. Surely they are not accountable. By show of hands, no. (laughs) Is it God's fault that they could not see him? That hearing they could not hear, seeing they could not see, and their hearts could not understand? No. Absolutely not. The guilt associated with their eyes that could not see, and their ears that would not hear, and their hearts that would not understand was their own rebellion and disobedience. Listen to Romans 10.21. But of Israel, he, Moses, says this, All day I have held out my hands to a what? A disobedient and contrary people. 
Oh, friends, had they earnestly desired to see God as supremely precious and valuable, had they repented of their disobedience and asked God to see him as compellingly beautiful, he would have given them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. But it was not possible for them to see because of their disobedience and rebellion. You see, the heart, a heart that understands And eyes that see God for who he is only happens through supernatural gift of God. That was true for Israel and it is true for us today. It only happens through the supernatural gift of God and Israel desperately needed this gift of God to change their hearts so that they could see him as their greatest treasure. And brothers and sisters, I wonder if you realize that this is where you and I are blessed beyond comparison. Absent God's intervention, we are exactly like Israel. We are no different than them with hearts that are rebellious and contrary and we cannot see God as supremely valuable. We cannot see him as our greatest treasure. Oh, but thanks be to God that you and I are under a different covenant. You and I are part of the new covenant in which God promises that he will forgive our sins and he will restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He went to the cross after he perfectly obeyed all the statutes and the commands. He was the only one who perfectly ever obeyed. He was the only one who ever could obey. And he did that on your and my behalf. He did what Israel could not do for us. And then on that cross, his innocent blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sin and my sin, that blood established a new covenant when the perfect spotless lamb was slaughtered on your and my behalf. He took our guilt upon himself and in return he gifted us his perfect, innocent righteousness before God the Father. And then he conquered over sin. We sang it this morning. And he demolished eternal death on our behalf. And after he rose up from the grave, which could not hold him down, and before he ascended into heaven, he gave us this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who now comes and the Spirit regenerates our hearts. He gives us life. He imparts spiritual life to us. And he enables our hearts to do what Israel could not do. Because he makes us alive, we see God. So know this, that when, that day when you said, oh, I made a decision for Christ... Oh, buddy, by that time you had already been regenerated or you would have never made the decision for Christ. We would have done exactly what Israel did. Oh, where's another God? But when he regenerates us, oh, then we turn to him and we follow him by faith. Israel was in desperate need for the Lord to change her heart. And you and I are the recipients of the changed heart through the Holy Spirit. Praise his glorious name. As I prepared this message, I I felt that the That the Lord said to me, there are people here this morning 
who feel unworthy of God's love. Maybe you feel that you're too young or too sinful or too messed up or somehow unworthy of God's love, too far from God. And that this message of the gospel that Christ died for you and you can become his son or daughter is not true and not trusted, that it may be true and applicable to the person next to you whose life is in order, but not to you because you are so messed up. If that's you this morning, I want to tell you that your thoughts and your feelings are not true. Just as the covenant with Israel was for everyone, go read verses 10 through 15 again. It says, from the elders and the officers to the one who chops wood and the one who draws water and the sojourner, it means from the highest, the greatest to the least. As the covenant was offered to all, in the same way, all are welcome before the cross of Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to assure you this morning that no matter your age or your sin or your status or your weakness or your messed upness, if you turn to God and ask him to forgive your sins, and help you to live for him, he will become your God. And you will become his child. Do not wait any longer. He's standing there like Moses with open arms. All is welcome. God invited his chosen people into covenant fellowship with himself. And then he's about to make it clear to them what the result of covenant unfaithfulness is. As our text turns to address the most fundamental stipulation of the covenant, namely the renunciation of all other gods and idols, and exclusive loyalty to the one true God. Which is the first and the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Look at verse 16. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed, and you have seen their detestable things their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. The idols of the nations are described here as detestable things. Israel should have experienced disgust and contempt when they saw those idols. Moses is saying to him, Israel, make sure you are not enticed by what should disgust you. Make sure you don't embrace what you should abhor. Yahweh is a jealous God. You cannot serve any other gods before him and live. Idolatry is one of those topics, friends, that you need to pay very careful attention to when you read it in God's word or you hear it preached from the pulpit. Why? First off, because idolatry is a matter of life and death. But also because idolatry often feels unrelatable to us. It feels like the sin of ages ago. It feels like, look, if you come to my house, you are not going to get a carved image in my study that I bow before each night before I go to bed. You will not find some detestable, disgusting figure that I worship. So why are you talking to me about idolatry 
I'm not an idolatrous person. I have no gods that's in my house. And therein lies the challenge for us that we think that idolatry is, is that. And it was for Israel. But friends, idolatry is so much more subtle than that. Idolatry is, is not only bowing before carved images or strange looking gods. It is anything, even very good things, that we cherish more than God himself. Anything that we treasure and find delight in more than in God. It can be your newborn baby. It can be your job. It can be your health. It can be your privacy, your husband or wife. It can be your phone. Things that we often run to for life, for sustenance. Things that we find great joy in. Friends, idolatry is not an archaic sin of previous generations. So when you hear idolatry in, in the word of God, don't think statue bow. Think something in my heart that wants to take the treasure of Christ away. What's the big deal with idolatry? It's the fact that these idols turn us away from the living God. That's why it is so extremely serious. Look at verse 18. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to serve the gods of other nations. That's what idols do. They turn us. They're not just little things that sit on our hearts. They turn our hearts away from the living God. And then there's another danger of idolatry. It creates a false sense, often, of belonging to God while we stubbornly resist God. The second half of verse 18 and 19. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who when he hears the words of this sworn covenant blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in stubbornness of my heart. Israel, the God who made you, the only true God, is calling you to be his people, to renounce all other gods and to serve him alone. Do not in the stubbornness of your heart, which is unwillingness to see him alone as God, as highest delight and treasure, do not in that stubbornness bless yourself and say, I will be safe. You will not. And the rest of this chapter makes this point very clear. If you walk in stubbornness, Israel, choosing which God you would rather serve than the king of glory who is calling you into covenant faithfulness, this will be the result. Verse 19b, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. What the heck does that mean? It means that the sinner who turns to other gods will not escape God's judgment by hiding undetectedly in the company of the righteous. Verse 20, the Lord will not be willing to forgive that man. But rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book, last week's message, will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Verse 21. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel. For what? For calamity. In accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. You will not be safe 
if you turn away from the living God and serve other gods. Overwhelming punishment awaits those who, in their stubbornness, are not willing to follow and obey the King of glory, but rather serve other gods. Why is this so serious? The question is asked there, what caused this heat of this great anger? In verse 25, And it answers, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom had not been allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. Idolatry is no small matter. And so I have to ask the question this morning, friend, are you living in rebellion against God? Are you indifferent to Him? Do you choose to live according to your own rules this life? Rather, than being strapped down by all the commandments of God's word. Are you so satisfied with your life that you can't even go like, I'm not sure God is going to do anything for me. Do you neglect to pursue God as your highest treasure? Bunch of questions to think about. And do you sometimes look at your life and even though there's little or no devotion to God, even though you walk in your own ways, even though you enjoy your autonomy, your independence from God, and you think, I shall be safe, you will not be safe. Like Israel would not be safe. And you know that the consequences of a life lived in rebellion of God, indifference to God, independence of God. Oh, friends, the, 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 the consequences for that lifestyle is real and severe. Second Thessalonians 1 says this, that the righteous judgment of God, which is coming, against those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Beg you to hear the warning this morning. Hebrew chapter 12 verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, not me speaking, God speaking to your heart this morning. See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, For if they, Israel, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. You will not be safe because you come to church each week. You will not be safe because you grew up in a Christian home. You will not be safe Because you prayed a sinner's prayer 20 years ago and you live with indifference to God in the meantime. You will not be safe because you're a good person with high moral standards. You will not. But the good news, friend, is you can be safe. And there's only one way. If you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you will repent of your sin and if you ask God for help to live for him. For him to become your heart's greatest treasure. And by faith you believe that through his sacrificial death on the cross. He paid the penalty that was owed by you. 
that there on that cross he made peace between you and God, that he reconciled you, restored broken relationship between you and God. If you believe that and you repent, then you will become his child. Friend, he is calling you this morning like he is calling Israel into covenant faithfulness. He's calling you this morning. He will save you and you will be his forever. So hear the Spirit call this morning, I pray. Like he is calling Israel, he's calling you this morning. Do not resist. Do not delay. Do not wait to become a better person. The call is this. Come to Christ. Come to Christ even if you are weak. Come to Christ even if you are weary. Come to Christ even though you may be hiding. Come to Christ even though you may be guilty. Jesus has paid the price and he will accept you. He is reaching out like he reached out to Israel and said, Become my people and I will become your God. He's saying to you through the sacrifice of Christ, through faith, I will become your God. You will become my people. Oh, church, we shall have no other gods before us. Let us ask the Spirit to help us to worship God the King of glory, above all else, to delight in Him more than in anything else and to serve and obey Him as our only and greatest treasure forever. And if we do, we will become His people and He will be our God forevermore. Oh, may it be so for us, church. May it be so. Amen. Let, I, let me pray for us, please. Father, we thank you for your invitation this morning to us to come to you, to come to Christ. Father, I pray for every man and woman and child in here this morning that feels weak and weary, that are hiding from you, that know they are guilty before you, that you will right now give them hearts to repent and to come to you and to ask for forgiveness. And as we do that, Father, we desire to serve no other God before you. We desire that you be our God and that we will be your people. Will you do that for everyone in this room today? Only you can do that. We desire you today, Lord. Amen.